And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back. Thank you for joining us for yet another episode of the Startup Hustle podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Conaway, founder and CEO of Innovate Her KC. And I got to tell you, friends, today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult, but Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably. And they have the platform to help you manage that team. Visit Fullscale.io or visit the show notes to click the link to learn more. All right, friends, we have with us today. Now, for those of you who listen to my episodes of the show, you know that I love talking about money. I love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. And we have a a new friend with us here today, Kelly Ann Winjet, CEO of Alternative Wealth Partners, a private equity firm focused exclusively on alternative assets. So I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit about what that means. We're going to talk about all kinds of fun things. But first things first, hey, Kelly Ann, welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you for having me, Lauren. I'm so excited for this. I know, me too. And I just want to tell you, I know that y'all might not be able to see this, but Kelly just like threw up her hands in a very excited gesture, which me, I, I can already tell that this is going to be a good one. So let's go ahead and kick it off. And I'm going to ask the perennial question, Kellyanne. Tell us about your journey. Well, um, it's been an interesting one and I don't have a traditional like finance background. So, you know, the fact that I'm in private equity in general is strange. Um, and then the yeah. way that I, uh, take it on head, head first is, um, a different and, uh, innovative way. Home. And, uh, I was fortunate enough to have two parents that were in financial services. So it wasn't like a foreign topic, uh, at the table talk. And, um, I'm five generations in oil and gas. So I was going to end up here one way or another. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so, uh, but my first, my first business was actually selling golf balls back to golfers, uh, in my backyard. Um, did you go and like find them on the golf course or in the pond and like gather them up and then sell them back? No, we, um, I lived, okay. I lived off hole four and there weren't very many good golfers at our country club. So <laughs> they, I got free access to golf balls in our backyard and their choice was either to give me a dollar for it back or I have to come into the yard with my giant black Rottweiler. So there, yeah. it was an easy choice for them to make. Um, and that was my summer job was making dollars off of uh, golf balls. But um, that is crazy. So really quickly, I just want to let you know that uh, one of our podcast co-founders, Matt DeCourcy, like that's actually his entrepreneurial origin story as well. Like he it was my neighbor. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I feel I feel like y'all need to meet because you have a lot uh, it's a lot in common here. But that, that's so you've been entrepreneurial from a very young age. Yeah, clearly. And, and, uh, I've always like wanted to do things my way. And even though I came from an affluent, um, upbringing, it was very much understood that my parents' money was their money. And, uh, you know, if we wanted things, um, we had to go out and figure it out ourselves. And so, 
me being a bratty teenager wanting expensive pairs of jeans from Hollister. This is 2004. Okay. And, um, you know, so the bedazzled jeans from Buckle or whatever. And uh, my parents are like, well, no not- judgment here, by the way. I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> I was in the same boat. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, I went out and I went out the back door and I went down the street and I got a job at a car wash. And the only thing that they would let a 15-year-old girl do is run the register because women are terrible with money. So let's give them the job to handle cash. Um, the I was there for maybe a few months before I started outselling the service advisors outside. Uh, so they moved me into sales. So I'm like 16 and then 17 years old, making almost six figures part-time in high school selling car washes. Um, so that was kind of my first taste of making a lot of money and understanding that there's a connection between a customer's need and the way to provide a service that no one else can. And uh, I had exposure in a lot of different types of industries. When I graduated high school, I went into healthcare, worked for a radiology firm, uh, and then into construction, working for a demolition company. And that's kind of where I learned a lot of tangible skills as far as like uh, software or, um, you know, building out databases, understanding uh, data and information in general, uh, which helped me kind of leapfrog into the private investment space. And that was through oil and gas. Um, And I found my way there organically, uh, just through a a plethora of of life experiences between the time I was 18 to 21. Yeah. So it it was interesting. It sounds like one of the things that I find really interesting is like the through line of many, many entrepreneurial experiences that I know of is the fact that like we were all kind of job hoppers and we all kind of tried different things. And I really think that that was fantastic preparation for being an entrepreneur because the fact is like in, in our roles, often you're one of few or sometimes you're the only one doing the deal and so you have to kind of do it all and you have to have a very uh multi-varied dynamic perspective of business and what it can look like do you think that your past experiences kind of alley-ooped you into the entrepreneurial space oh yeah i mean a a big part of that is being able to understand like a wide variety of personalities when you work for 60 radiologists which if anyone in your audience is familiar with doctors um, are like the, are the weirdest doctors because they sit in these like bat caves and hospitals, like staring at screens all day and they have to know everything about everything. Um, So they're, they're an interesting group to work with and then flip flopping into construction, which is a completely different type of personality. Um, So being able to (laughs) has been really helpful, especially now when I'm dealing with a wide variety of different types of founders or different types of investors, because those personalities, understanding them and being able to um, process information with them differently, uh, conversation to conversation is a really valuable skill. Yeah, for sure. Well, so I want to talk to you a little bit about alternative investment, because we talk a lot about angel investment, venture capital investment. We talk about bootstrapping. And and, and so I think our listeners at this point know there are a lot of different ways to fund your startup, to fund your business. But I'm going to ask you to do me a favor and explain it to me like I'm five. 
talk to what it, what is alternative investment so alternatives in general um as far as an investment um like type is everything outside of traditional asset classes so anything outside of stocks bonds and cash is considered alternatives and this could be um a real estate rental property this could be crypto this could be a venture capital investment this could be private equity this could be a note it could be also different types of different things um and as long as it doesn't fall into the category of a publicly traded um stock a, a bond or or just sitting on cash um is considered alternatives now um alternative wealth partners focuses in private equity as a sector and when it comes to the founder in the audience and everything like that, is that private equity is kind of the big umbrella of what the investment is. And then there's different levels of capital and focus points of private equity. There's venture capital, there's growth, and then there's like leverage buyout, uh, majority stake kind of thing. And the way that we build out our portfolios is really blended across all three of those so that we invest in um, everything from a venture level investment to a buyout and then across multiple different types of industries. And so um, being a part of the venture capital world and dealing with different types of founders, there are companies that are spending a lot of time and effort trying to raise capital from VC when they should be really focused on either establishing a better relationship with a better bank or finding a private equity or private investor who who can focus on the growth um, part of their business because they they might be beyond venture or not make sense for that type of capital. Okay, can you can you dig into that a little bit more deeply? Like, what are some reasons that maybe VC investment might not work for a founder, but alternative investment? would can you give us maybe maybe even give us like some scenarios or, or something like that to give us some context so there's a lot of risk in vc and a lot of those venture capital investors are looking for early access to big opportunity they invest with the um with the idea that they're going to 10 20 50 100x their investment um mm -hmm. and they take significantly large pieces of the business um, and, and kind of, I call them a little bit predatory, uh, because there are businesses, especially with female founders, uh, that I've learned that they've been able to bootstrap their business way beyond something that like a venture capital is going to come in or an angel investor where they're already generating over a million dollars in revenue. And so somebody coming in and saying, oh, I want to be an angel investor or oh, we're looking for pre-seed or seed funding, um, when they don't really need that, what they need is an advisor or, an, or a single or a couple of investors who really understand how to get them in a position that maybe bank financing makes more sense because they have yeah. a viable business um, or go ahead and find private equity that is focused on growth um, capital, maybe not a, a, a majority buyout, but maybe a minority partner. And I think you're seeing a lot of this kind of shift around as venture capital has kind of got an interesting reputation right now. Um, and there's a lot of these yeah. like, private equity debt funds out there that are that are being spun up to help companies with growth capital because they're no longer able to get that support from banks. Um, I think that if you listen to any of my other like interviews in the world is that I kind of throw banks under the bus um, because you have such high rates and banks don't take that kind of risk to to 
like justify a 10% interest and they're paying. Banks like to give money to people who already have money. Right. Banks like to give money. To a certain extent, I kind of understand like it is a bank's job to, to mitigate risk for their shareholders. And like, I get it. But at the same time, I also, I speak to so many founders who are like, you know, I got told by the bank or I got told by the VC, let us know when you're further along. And it's one of those things where it's like, there's, there's a bit of cognitive dissonance there because you're not going to get further along unless you're well capitalized and you're not going to be well capitalized by traditional measures unless you're further along. And it's like, this is, it's this cyclical failure cycle that you're kind of on. And so, so it's your job to help founders and entrepreneurs overcome that. Right. Right. You're you're kind of the the sticking point in that cycle. Like, how do we get assets, get investment, get money into the hands of founders who need it, who might not be able to rely on traditional banking institutions? Right. Right. It's definitely a conversation of like the chicken or the egg and the cart before the horse and all sort of thing. Um, And I think that founders today are getting more nimble with how they um bootstrap their business up to a certain point. And I have a lot of opinions about, you know, the number of companies that are going to stay private over going public um, and the kind of skip ahead to private equity that's going to start happening. And it's because it's removed, like the banks have removed themselves from the competition. So it really is the private investor who's going to be able to use their money in and outside of the bank uh, to fund and get access to opportunities that they've never had before. Um, because the traditional way of financing these really big opportunities is gone. So it really is up to the private investor to decide, okay, I can put my money in a bank for 5% and hopefully the bank will be able to lend the money out at eight to 10% in order to cover their spread. Or I can take my money out of the bank with the same level of risk and put it into the pub, the private market and make my own 12 to 15%. So right. it's an interesting thing to see shifts. And I think that founders should really focus on finding investors that align with what they're doing because there's a lot of people yeah. out there. And then for the investor's perspective, it's like you can actually make a lot of, you can have a lot of impact by using your own money to make these investment decisions outside of just like, well, you know, my advisor says plan A is best for me. Yeah. Well, and and so one of the things you've alluded to this a couple of different times, and I see that it was something that came up on on the set list that I'm looking at right now. So you, Alternative Wealth Partners, you have a focus on the oil and gas industry. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? What mean what that means for you organizationally? Like maybe why? I mean, what niche? What uh, what gap are you looking to fill with AWP? Sure. So um, we do have a specific fund dedicated to oil and gas. Um, but a majority of our, our products that we build out is focused on diversification. So I obviously have five generations in oil and gas, and it's something that I'll always be invested in. Um, but there really needs to be an investor that has both sides of the picture in mind, which is we have to have a sustainable path to transition to renewables. And you can't yeah. do that when oil's at $90 a barrel. And you right. can't get oil down from $90 a barrel unless you make investment into that space to make it cheaper and more efficient. 
And so when you have cheaper oil or efficient industry, that you then can afford to build out the infrastructure that you need in place in order to move into the renewable space. And you have to invest in both. And so, you know, that's how we're invested in both the traditional asset class of oil and gas. There's a lot of tax incentives there. But using the returns, this has created generational wealth since the beginning of time. Um, You know, my family has wells in our family that's still paying out royalty checks almost 100 years later. So you're talking about a generational asset that can provide the type of return that can self-fund transition. And the difference between how we do it and everybody else is that I'm focused on changing the invest what the investor looks like. Because if everyone just keeps looking like me and is invested in oil and gas, then it's going to just stay in oil and gas. But if I can make another woman or another minority generational wealth from oil and gas, they are then going to be able to take that money and invest it in something that matters to them in their community Yeah, away from oil and gas that stays in the same very whitewashed investor base. Yeah. Well, and I do just want to note, um, you know, one of the things that you said that really resonates with me is the fact that we know for a fact, the data shows us time and time again, that when women and minorities, and incidentally, this is my own little soapbox, so feel free to disregard, but I, I hate that phrase because it verbally excludes the possibility that women can also be minorities. Yes. But that being said, I'm going to go ahead and use it for lack of anything better. Uh, So women and minorities, we know that statistically speaking, they reinvest back into their communities at higher rates than their white male cisgender counterparts. We know this with 100% certainty. So when you set up a family led by a woman or led by a person of color or led by any other kind of intersectional identity. Yes. We know for a fact that they those individuals are going to be more likely to support their insular close community, like that community. So for instance, the Kansas City community versus the global community. And and then so so wealth begets wealth, yes. right? Like you you're you're putting wealth into hands that are then using that money to create wealth amongst those nearest and dearest to them. So love that. <laughs> Um, I'm really, I'm really curious though about this oil and gas thing. You said something really, really fascinating to me, and I, I want to drill down on it. Understand, you said, and I'm trying to remember exactly how you said it, but you said understanding that um, renewable energy is the path forward. You know, so you're investing in the oil and gas space, but you have in the back of your mind, like there's an expiration date here. Yes. Hopefully, someday we will no longer be dependent on oil and gas. <laughs> Um, and so can you talk to us a little bit how that manifests, that that knowledge that, you know, there's there's going to be an end here? How does that manifest itself in your work, in the investments that you make and in the work that you do? Well, we leverage the tax advantages of oil and gas investing and the returns in order to finance projects, infrastructure or technology that supports the renewable future. And it's not that we won't need oil and gas um, ever again at some point in the future. Um, We think we will always have to do that. But um, there's so much innovation happening in technology and not enough in the infrastructure and hardware around it to support it. So, you know, that's where we're focused on. I'm really like very bullish on 
the industrial space um, and infrastructure and manufacturing. And not that I don't like tech. I just think that it's so well-funded and uh, without bumpers that, you know, they can advance all they want. Like take AI, for example, you know, everyone and their mother is coming up with a new AI product. The problem is that they are going to run out of computing power, not only from the hardware perspective, but also the cloud space and and the energy needed to power that. And if you don't focus on creating the power structure to support technology's growth, then it all implodes and none of it matters anyways. So that's why I like this space so much is because power electricity is makes everything possible yeah well so i want to speaking of things that make everything possible one of the things that we talk about around startup hustle a lot is the fact that you need to put a strong team around you and i gotta tell you friends you know one of the things that we talk about a lot is those software developers um there is there's a dearth of tech talent out there but finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult especially when you visit fullscale.io where you can build a software team quickly and affordably use the fullscale platform to define your technical needs and then see what available developers testers and leaders are ready to join your team visit fullscale.io or look in the show notes and click the link to learn more. Friends, we are here today with Kelly Ann Winjet of Alternative Wealth Partners, a private equity firm focused exclusively on alternative assets. All right, so Kelly Ann, we have been talking, well, we've, we've been talking about Alternative Wealth Partners and we've been talking about the oil and gas space, but now I kind of want to open things up a little bit. And I want to talk to the founders that are out there listening. You know, maybe AWP, is not ready to invest in the the average founder who's listening to Startup Hustle. Maybe they don't fit your niche. But that being said, um, what are some words of wisdom that you might have for founders looking for alternative capital assets, alternative capital investment who are trying to, maybe they aren't ready for the, the banking institution. Maybe they are, but they don't want to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe they don't want to seek venture capital investment. What are, what are some things that founders like that should do to make themselves more attractive to groups like AWP? I think that uh, I'm going to give a little bit of a contrarian perspective because I think there's a lot of coaches and a lot of like consultants out there that are like really heavily focused on like making your pitch deck deck perfect and you're making your pitch perfect. And the reality is, is that when you're, especially for early stage businesses, more focus should be spent on building your community because that's where your first check is going to come from. Hell yeah. So, and it's either a friend, a family, or someone in that community. And, um, you know, I focused a lot when I launched Alternative Wealth Partners, not on marketing materials, not on, not on like advertising Alternative Wealth Partners. I spent a lot of time and energy and money on PR because I needed to establish myself from behind the curtain, right, where I had existed for 10 years and be like, I'm actually the brains behind this crazy thing that's been going on. And um, here I am as a thought leader. And so 
and building my community around like who I am as a manager and who I am as a as an investor. And I feel like founders lose their story because they're so focused on this perfect pitch. You're going to have to have 9,000 different perfect pitches when you're raising capital or starting your business yeah. because you're you're going to be dealing with all these different personality types as far as your investors go, whether it's an individual or, fam- or family member or whether you're going to an institutional uh, investor like a VC, uh, a venture capital firm or private equity or whatever. But you really just need to focus on your story, who you are, and who you are creating something for. Because really defining your community and building that out is going to be the the most impactful thing you can do for your business. Because not only does it create customers, but it creates support, not only financially, but just like organically out in the world. And so I think that's my biggest piece of advice is like really focus on establishing who your community is in less time trying to perfect a pitch deck because no one cares. I look at pitch decks for like two seconds. I, I, it doesn't, these groups that spend six months going through due diligence on financials and stuff. I don't know how long you can spend six months on financials for a company that's been around for two seconds, you know? So it's, it's a forecasted picture of best case scenario and the only time you should be spending on a best case scenario financial picture is with the person who you believe is going to be making that true. And right. if you don't believe in the founder, the founder can't make you believe that it doesn't matter what numbers that person puts on paper. If you believe in that person and that person believes that they can make those numbers true, that's what you're investing in when we're yeah. talking about early well, stage startups. And we've, we've heard that time and time again. It's so interesting to me because there there seems to be a little bit, again, that cognitive dissonance that we find. Like we we put place so much emphasis on like, let's create these really slick materials. Let's make sure that we have everything packaged up so beautifully. When in reality, we also know that investors tend to make very split second gut decisions about investment. You can throw all the numbers in the world up there on your pitch deck, but if they don't like you <laughs> or trust you as the founder, you're not getting their money. <laughs> and so, and what you're talking about with this community building thing, and I and I love that you're your cornerstone of care seems to be that relationship building piece. Mm. But one of the things that that we know for a fact is when you engage the community around you, you create brand advocates. And that's what you're talking about. You're talking about brand advocacy. Yes. You're talking about creating people who will then do your work for you. Exactly. In broadcasting your message to the world, to the community, to, you know, the, the invested parties. That I mean, that's what you're talking about, right? <laughs> exactly what I'm talking about. And I mean, I wrote a book about this. And um, what's it called? It's called, and where can we find it? All, all places you can buy books. Um, it's it's called <laughs> Pitch the Bitch. Um, yeah. Grab grab your financial future by the bags, and um, it's specifically like anybody can read it, but it's really focused on those that have been left out of the wealth conversation, which women yeah. and the disenfranchised, right? So. Um, it's really about changing the mindset, recognizing that there's a pattern in the messaging that is that we uh, don't deserve access, that you don't know what you're doing with your money, let other people make these decisions for you. And so the book walks through, here's the messaging that you're hearing, and here's how to recognize that 
those gatekeeping uh, uh, the the gatekeeping phrases and how to start making these decisions yourself and educating yourself on um, money in general. It's not about like what you should be investing in. I don't care what you're investing in, but I want you to care about it for yourself. I want you to start making those decisions for yourself, um, on behalf of yourself and the things that you think are important. Um, so, I mean, that whole thing is connecting with anyone. I can only work with accredited investors. I can only work with people that have million plus net worths, but that doesn't mean that I'm not going to talk to somebody who doesn't have a million dollars. Um, it's all about access. So the way that I've created the brand identity and writing the book, I wrote the book so that people could have the information for free. I don't want to gatekeep what the wealthy family offices are doing. It's a system that can be implemented whether you have a dollar or a billion dollars. Um, it's just a mindset strategy um, yeah. in setting yourself up correctly to have generational wealth for yourself. And generational wealth means different things to different people. Somebody having $100,000 in the bank could be generational wealth for them. Um, whereas some other people might need $10 million in the bank to have generational wealth. Right. And it just kind of depends on socioeconomic circumstances. Are you historically excluded as a, as a founder or an investor? Um, so really quickly, I do just, I just want to say this because I've been like, I've been waiting to say this. Uh, so I love the name of your book Yes, and I do have to share with you that once upon a time, so we had that my organization innovate her Casey, we have a startup founder, uh, pitch competition for women plus, uh, founders and we call it girls just want to have fun. Ding. But that being said, when we first came up with the idea and we've done it three or four times now, um, when we first came up with the idea, our proposed name was Bitches with Pitches. But then we had way too yes. many found, way too many potential sponsors be like, uh, can't, sorry. So we were like, all right, fine. Uh, but that being said, you know, when I saw your book title, I just started laughing. I was like, oh, we're on the same page. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the good thing is that I don't really care about whether or not you're going to sponsor me. I already published the book, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, one of these days we're gonna do it. We actually had somebody sneak it in to a, a naming contest, and I was like, "Hey, hey, all right, it's still, it's still hanging around the community. They still want it. So one of these days we're gonna name something bitches with pitches, and it's gonna be like one of the greatest moments of my life." Yes, that's amazing. Uh, <laughs> but, but all right. So I just wanted to say that. Uh, but kudos to you on your naming capabilities. Thanks. Excellent work. Uh, but then the other thing that I want to ask, you know, you are a little bit unique um, within the investment space. And we've been talking about those who have been historically excluded, those who have been marginalized. And usually when we say that, we're, we are talking about women and minorities um, and, you know, and any kind of, you know, people who are disabled, people who are immigrants or anybody who is not the, I guess, archetypical or archetypal founder, which tends to be white cisgender male. Uh, you are very few of those things. And I'm wondering if you can talk to us about that because you are a first and I love first. Yes. <laughs> I am the first uh, millennial solo female founded openly LGBTQ uh, private equity person. Um, <laughs> that I'm well, aware of. So the first things first. Yay! Woo! That's that's like the entire audience cheering for you. Yay! I'm speaking for everybody. 
Uh, congratulations. Hashtag representation matters. Yes. Uh, but talk to, can you talk to us a little bit about that experience? Has it been, has it been difficult? Has it been fairly innocuous? You know, what, what has that been like? So, um, I've, I've had the privilege to not deal with a lot of, um, pushback on my identity growing up. Um, but I did deal with it professionally. I never really, um, talked about, uh, being gay in the professional setting, um, until I met my now wife. So, um, and that could have a lot to do with like, maybe I didn't feel comfortable enough introducing somebody, but we deal with that as uh, queer people professionally that the stigma behind like bringing a different person to the holiday, you know, the office holiday party every year is looked at differently yeah. than, you know, our, our cisgendered male counterparts who might have a different girlfriend every year is different for us. Um, you know, if people are paying more attention to it, I think. And it's the same just for women bringing a different, you know, boyfriend around um, yeah. on a, on a regular basis. And so those were things I just never wanted to deal with, especially since I was working in very like conservative male dominated spaces like construction, finance, uh, oil and gas. <laughs> so, um, you know, it wasn't something that was talked about because in these investor meetings, um, you know, things are, things are said that you're like, Oh, I probably shouldn't talk about <laughs> that part of my life in this room. Um, yeah. And it wasn't until I decided to go out on my own that it was kind of like a, a big moment of, you know what, if people have a problem with it, they don't have to work with me. And so the power of being able to tell those people, no, you know, like I don't actually have to put up with this from you, um, is really empowering. Um, and it was something that, yeah. you know, I really struggled with for a long time. So, you know, just in the last three to five years that I've been, like really comfortable saying like this is who I not that I hit it in my personal life I just didn't talk yeah. about it professionally and so now because I am the face of my own thing and not representing other people um yeah you know I can be authentically who who I am and who I've been this whole time oh my god I, I love that so much um so so just a Full disclosure for our audience and for you, Kelly, and uh, I also identify as queer. Um, I am het presenting. I married a dude, but, you know, that's just who I happen to fall in love with and marry. Um, but that being said, it doesn't make me any less queer. And so it's one of the, it, it, it's one of those things where it's like, it's kind of your lens a yes. little bit. And I'll give you an example. So like yesterday, I was making a graphic for an event that we have coming up for Innovate Her KC. And I was looking for women playing pool. So I put that into the little <laughs> picture stock photography yeah. thing. And, and so there are a few things that I noticed. First of all, there aren't that many pictures out there of women playing pool which is a major bummer. Mm -hmm. But the other thing that I noticed is that a lot of the pictures had women, but it also included men. And in a lot of the pictures, the men were teaching the women how to play pool. Yes. And they were doing it in that like couple-y way where I'm going to put my arm around you and get my yes. breath in your ear and get real close. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, first things first, why do we not have same-sex couples doing that? Because say, hey, ladies do that to other ladies yes. too. 
And, and that's kind of, that was kind of the image or the graphic that I was looking for. And I was just really frustrated that I could not find this. It was all a bunch of guys teaching women how to play pool. And I'm like, you know, I bet I could probably kick the ass of, I don't know, 60% of the dudes who come my way and try to play me in pool. And we just don't see that pictorially represented. No. It's really frustrating. The stock photo thing is really, uh, it, it's an interesting topic. It's like a problem. <laughs> you should have a whole podcast on this because there's a there's a female founder team. Um, it's two black women who have, a, who have launched a whiskey brand. And yeah. um, they, you know, are, are trying to go through all their marketing stuff. And they're like, you know, we're trying to find pictures of women drinking whiskey because women actually really like whiskey and yeah. um and so they're like trying to find all these photos and they cannot for the life of them find any photos of like women or or black women drinking whiskey yeah. every time they, well, and they get wine glasses what or whatever but no whiskey there are actually specific photo repositories that have been built specifically for people of color. But they're terrible. They're they, terrible. Well, they're, they're not as built. They're not as robust. Like uh, most of these stock photography sites, like the ones that kind of feature like the cisgender heteronormative relationships and men, those stock photography, like they have had years to build up thousands and thousands and thousands of images. You would think that with that many images, it would be easier to find what you're looking for. But it's not. So yeah, a lot of these repositories, like they're they're just really anemic. They're not yeah. great. But I, I think the larger point for our listeners that I was trying to bring home is the fact that like what you're talking about with your own experience, you're talking about the privilege or or lack thereof. Previously, you did not have the privilege to be who you were and to, to love who you want to love. And then now as a founder, I actually, I enjoy the same thing. Like there's nobody to tell me that I can't say, can't say gay, can't say like whatever word or whatever concept I want to talk about. There's nobody there imposing values on me that do not belong to me. And therefore I could say what I want. That's a lot of privilege. Right. <laughs> and not everybody has that same privilege. And so I think that it then becomes incumbent on you and it becomes incumbent on me to, to use that privilege. Yes positive. You know, it's one of the reasons I do start a puzzle because I get to talk about these issues and make sure that people understand they're very real issues and they're very important and they affect you just as much as they affect me. Yes. Is that kind of how you feel about it? Oh, oh yeah. And I mean, I get to do this kind of across the aisle and investing style because like I'm a, I'm a queer woman. And I don't hide that, but my investor base is pretty diverse in the fact that we have, you know, a, prof a black professional woman and a very conservative white farmer invested into my fund, which I then invest in things like oil and gas, but also like one of our portfolio companies is Dapper Boy, which is a gender neutral clothing company founded by uh, a queer couple, right? And so when they were when they were fundraising it was this goes back to the community piece is finding an investor who understands right and i've been yeah. watching dapper boy's story since they started right as an individual investor but now having the opportunity to do it uh from the institutional lens um going into that company and being like well i understand because i'm this person with this problem and i am not a niche right this is the feedback they're getting from investors is that they're too niche they're too niche to have a gender neutral right. clothing company, which is just clothes that fit everybody, um, 
is not niche. And especially when you have Gen Z and millennials who more than half of them identify as some sort of queer, right? And so they're looking yeah. for an androgynous style clothing company. Like that is the lifestyle brand that they build out. And it is, yeah. and it works for both men and women and non-binary. And that's the point. And men and women and non-binary include a hundred percent of the population. So right. <laughs> um, I get to, that's everybody folks. Right. That's everybody <laughs> folks. And so having, <laughs> having that representation for them, for me as an investor, right. Being openly yeah. that way, we can have an authentic conversation about what their mission is and the conversations that they're having with their customers, right. That are these life changing feedback uh, from the people that are buying their clothes and me being able yeah. to see that and be like, for I sure. see the value and getting other investors on board with me. Yeah. Well, and I, and I love that. They, I, again, I'm going to share a little bit of my personal journey. Like I have always identified as female, but I also, um, I tend to dress more gender neutral androgynous and that's a personal choice that I make. I have many reasons, but even like I'm, I'm looking at the Dapper Boy website right now, like full disclosure, I am paying attention to the conversation, but I got really interested. So they're so soft. Their shirts are so yeah. soft. But like, I want to buy these clothes and they, they were, they were, they were built for me, but they were built for everyone. And, and so like that, and that's that right there, that's a, that's design thinking. When you engage in design thinking, you, en you design for the most vulnerable, knowing that it will benefit all. Exactly. Right? Yep. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, that that is super cool, and I I love that you are using your privilege, such as it is, uh, and you're using your privilege to help give voice and give platform and give support, i.e., money, <laughs> to to organizations and founders yes. that need it. That is that is really really cool. Uh, congratulations. Now we have come up on the human question. Are you ready? Are you yes. excited? Yes. Okay. So if you could be a guest on any television, and you know what, I'm going to remove the television word on any talk show, because we could do web shows, uh, which would it be and why? Uh, Kelly Clarkson. Right. Do you just, do you just dig her? Like, she seems really cool. Yes. And I <laughs> love Kelly Clarkson and I've manifested it uh, to be so. And so, um, yeah, I think that she just has such a, uh, and she's from, uh, so I live in North Fort Worth. She's not that far. Burleson is not that far away. So, um, you know, we're, we're from the same area and, uh, I have a, a funny story. I was in the post office, um, in my little tiny neighborhood and some old lady came up to me and she whispered, are you Kelly Clarkson? I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> um, my hair, my hair is up in a ponytail now, but I do have large hair like she does. And, uh, but I just think that her personality and talk so style is like so cool and like yeah. friendly that I think that that would, that's probably where I want to go. All right. Well, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you coming on the show today, uh, Kellyanne, it has been, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you very much for sharing of your knowledge, but more importantly, thank you for sharing of yourself and your expertise for those founders out there who need alternative investment. Yeah. Uh, that's the name of the game. Just very, very appreciative for you. And I uh, cannot wait to see what you invest in next. I'm, I'm like already planning on going on to Dapper Boy and buying Yes, stuff, yay. <laughs> But uh, very, very cool to have you on the show, Kelly. And thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Lauren.
Absolutely. And hey, friends, uh, one more time, if you need to hire software engineers, testers, or leaders, Full Scale can help. They have the people and the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts. When you visit FullScale.io, all you need to do is answer a few questions and then let the platform match you up with fully vetted, highly experienced software engineers, testers, and leaders. At FullScale, they specialize in building long-term teams that work only for you. Learn more when you visit FullScale.io, or you can check the show notes for the link. All right, friends, I am going to ask you, I'm going to put out a call. I'm going to ask you to do what we always ask you to do, but it's really, really important. Start a Hustle is a show that is by founders for founders. We do this work for you. Uh, we also do this work because it's super fun and it, you know, breaks up the monotony of a Wednesday. But that being said, we really, really do this for you. And we want to hear your feedback. We want to know as founders, what do you struggle with? What topics do you want to hear us talk about? What founders do you want us to interview? What companies are on the rise? What do you find interesting? We are here for all of it. And you can find us at startuphustle.xyz or check down in the show notes. We are also on Facebook. We've got a chat group. We have a LinkedIn page where you can reach out to us. There is a wealth of opportunities to reach out to Startup Hustle. You can start it with a Google search and just Find us, let us know what you want to hear. We are we are here for it and we are here to create a show for you. As always, we are very grace, grateful that you come and you listen to us week after week. We hope that you continue to do so and we will catch you next time. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.